Good morning, everybody. My name is Dave McCune. I'm the kids and youth discipleship pastor here at Trinity. And it is, hey, thank you. It is truly a joy to be here with you. Uh, two weeks ago, I had COVID, and I had to remember that that's a thing that still happens. And it got me, and it got me pretty good. Um, and so I didn't get to see folks for a long time. And so it's, it's really good to be back. And I just need to be honest with y'all from the start. It was a, it was a strange and really tough couple weeks for me during that time. Um, I was adjacent to five deaths that happened in the lives of, or in families close to us, experienced deaths. And just a, a strange um, to have so many in such a short amount of time, many of them um, cruel, um, lives cut too short, things that didn't make sense, sudden. So it was a sad season. And I was grateful that through that, um, during, in the life of our church, if you came around to worship and prayer this past Wednesday, we took a moment to celebrate All Saints Day, which is part of the Anglican tradition year in, year out. And Jason Faulkner, um, who's with pastoral care with us, an amazing friend, he guided us through, or if you were here, he guided us through a very tender liturgy and a way of thinking about mourning that invited us into mourning, into grief. And then yesterday, some of you took part in a grief workshop that we had here um, by friends who love the church, and they're so great at inviting us into those spaces. So I'm grateful to be surrounded by folks who say it's okay to go to a hard place. And I do want to share with you, because some of these do hit close to home, they impact our church family very directly. Uh, first of all, the father of Adrian Christian passed away earlier this week. She's our discipleship pastor. Adrian's incredible. Those of you who have reached out, who know her, um, who knew, she is so blessed by the news. I wanted to pass that along, that she says thank you for the care and support. She feels your prayer. So please be praying comfort and peace for her and her family while she's with them in Florida. Um, and then second, um, if you didn't know the Stone family, um, John Stone, 14-year-old John Stone, passed away a week and a half ago, the week I contracted COVID. It was such a, or the day, it was such a strange day. Um, John, um, his family, Mead, Mary Elizabeth, his, his brothers, Daniel, Andrew, Michael, they've been part of our church for years. Um, they're beloved. We love you guys. Um, if you knew John, you knew that John, um, he suffered a lot. He suffered much. He, he lost a twin at birth. He wasn't supposed to make it to a year, and yet he made it to 14, which in itself is an incredible, incredible blessing. He was able to participate in our student ministry, uh, in our kids' ministry. Many of our youth who are here with us, our high school students, were, um, were part of a care team that helped him to and from the services. What I am going to so miss is that he would ring his bells in here and worship with us and make a joyful noise in a way that he could. Um, he brought joy. His life mattered so much, and we will miss him. He should be with us. Um, during worship, that song that we sang wasn't planned, but when it talked about the race is complete, it brought me to tears this morning. Um, part of his, his tribute that was written by him, or about him, um, mentions finishing the race. I want to read that for us this morning. While John will be missed every single day, those who loved him are grateful he is no longer suffering. He finished his race so well and is now with his Lord, reunited with his identical twin, Warren, and healed and whole. The Lord is indeed making all things new. This is a defiant word of hope I'm so grateful for. Um, it's a reminder that we live in the already but not yet kingdom of God, that death has been defeated, but we still feel its sting. And so we as a church are called to mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve, and so I want to call you to that as a church, particularly if you know these families well, to reach out. Um, so I'd like to pray. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. God, we pray that you would be the God of comfort, 
God, you promise. You say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You call those who are mourning and grieving alongside yourself to receive comfort. God, I pray for those in this room right now who have unspoken griefs, who walk in here carrying very heavy burdens. God, that you would see and hear those who mourn and who grieve. God, as a church, we specifically pray for the Christian family. We pray that you would lift up Adrian, that she would feel your comfort and your peace as she grieves the loss of her father alongside her family. God, we pray for the Stone family. We pray that you would be alongside them, bringing comfort and bringing peace. God, John, uh, we celebrate his life and we thank you for his life and what he meant to the life of our church, to this community, to the many medical providers he was able to bring joy to over the years. God, we grieve that he is not with us. We rejoice that he is with Jesus. We pray that you be with those of us who are mourn, who mourn. God, we are reminded that hope wins at the end of the day. We don't grieve as those who don't have hope. We have hope. So remind us during this season that as we grieve, we are called to it, to not shy away, but that hope does win out in the end. We thank you for this. Would you comfort us, Lord Jesus? Amen. Amen. Church, thank you so much. Um, it can feel a little disorienting to go from that um, to a message. And what's incredible is today's message meets us right where we're at. The text that, that I was handed weeks ago <clears throat> mentions the exact phrase I just said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I am so grateful that this is where the text has us today. If you could turn with me to Matthew 5, we're going to look into this, which is such a provocative saying, saying that blessed are those who mourn. <clears throat> What we're reading is what's called the Beatitudes. This is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Who out there has the red letter Bible, the words of Jesus? Some of you have that. If you have it, turn a couple pages. Look how much red there is for the next couple pages. If you're scrolling, scroll up. This is the longest continuous teaching of Jesus that we have following our passage, which is Matthew 5, 1 through 12. What we are reading is commonly called to the Beatitudes. Many of you may have learned this growing up in church if you grew up in the church. Some of the most famous sayings of Jesus. Beatitude means blessing. It's a Latin term for blessing. It also means favored. So I want you to have that word favored in mind as we chart our way through the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are the prelude to the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe the most influential message sermon ever given. And so here I am. It's my task to try to summarize that. So <clears throat> we'll ask the Lord's help as we navigate our way through it. So let's read together, together Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, thanks be to God for a word that meets us 
where we were at, especially those of us who would say, I feel, find myself poor in spirit. I find myself in a place of mourning. The Lord says, you are those who are considered favor in my kingdom. These words of Jesus, when they dropped on the world, they were revolutionary. They should sound revolutionary to us because those who Jesus lists as being the favored ones, being the blessed ones, is not probably what we would drop as a list. Where do we find ourselves in chapter 5 of Matthew? Well, Jesus has just burst on the scene with his ministry. If you have your Bible, turn back to Matthew 4, 17. This is the context for when Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 4, 17, we learn this, that from that time on, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This was his message. Hey, you've been going this direction. Repent. Come back to me. Acknowledge the places where you've complicit, been complicit with brokenness in the world and find a better kingdom. The things that you've been chasing have not been working out. Repent of them. Come back. Come back to the kingdom, the kingdom that I will explain with unhurried and unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus is making this invitation clear, and people are responding in a big way. It's not just his words. He teaches as someone with authority, but his works. Jesus starts healing people, and people from all over the Galilee region start bringing their friends, bringing those who are sick, bringing those who are injured, bringing those who are poor in spirit, bringing them to Jesus to see what he will do with them. He's at the height of his popularity. Wherever he goes, there are crowds. And what's interesting is we think about heading into this political season, this cycle, where we are going to be having elections one year from now. Um, we see politicians going to places of influence, right? They're going to Iowa. They're going to New Hampshire. They're going to places where their supporters are holding big rallies and promoting those to show just how popular they are in the moment. Well, Jesus does something opposite. Jesus sees the crowds and he turns and he climbs a mountain. And when he begins to speak, he shares these beatitudes. And these beatitudes that he shares with these crowds are not out of nowhere. People were used to hearing beatitudes. I want to show you this. This is so cool. This is some, some ancient poetry right here. Do we have that slide of the wisdom of Ben Sira? Awesome. All right. So this is the wisdom of Ben Sira, Jesus Ben Sira, another Jesus who was alive about 100 years before the Jesus of Nazareth. He was a Hebrew teacher, and he also had some beatitudes. Many teachers did at the time. So when Jesus shared his blessings, people aren't just like, oh, those sound nice. It was in contrast to what they expected to hear. So check these out, and as I read these, see which ones sound like Jesus and what maybe doesn't. So here's the, the wisdom of Ben Sirah. I can think of nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth whom my tongue proclaims. If you've read Proverbs, this sounds like familiar language. Blessed is the man who delights in his children. Okay. And blessed is the one who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Does that sound like Jesus to you? Blessed is the one who does not sin with the tongue. Okay? And the one who does not serve an inferior. That does not sound like Jesus. That sounds like somebody trapped in middle management. <laughs> so maybe that was Ben Sira. I don't know. Blessed is the one who finds a friend. Amen. And the one who speaks to an intentive audience. I'll say it is a blessing. Thank you. I appreciate that. But Ben Sira writes this as something that we should attain for, needing the approval and the affirmation of others. This doesn't sound like the Jesus that we know, but we've got to put our minds into the place of those who heard this first. This is what was expected. These type of blessings. These are who are blessed. 
These are the people who have value in God's kingdom um, that Jesus says, and the words of Ben Sira seem so counter to that, let alone the values of the Roman Empire at the time in which these were spoken. So with that in mind, Jesus climbs a mountain. Instead of moving towards the crowds, towards the places of influence, where all his supporters, where everybody wanted to see him, he said, cool, you want to hear me? I'm going to take you, invite you out of your familiar place. I'm going up a hill, which I love because I love hiking. It's one of my favorite things. But when we hike, what happens? I don't know if you love hiking or not, but you're going to have to roll with me for just a second because I think it's an apt metaphor for what Jesus teaches us through the Beatitudes. When Jesus climbs a mountain, I think we've got a photo of uh, climbing a mountain. This is our youth trip to Ecuador last year, a beautiful place. When you hike, when you climb, what's the anatomy of a hike? All right, first you have anticipation of wanting to experience something. Then the journey up is often defined by that anticipation, a lack of something. You are looking to be satisfied by something. We were looking to be satisfied by being able to breathe again because this is at 12,000 feet and we darn near passed out on the way up. But when we got to the top, it was so worth it. When we got to this view, we were changed and we left full of something where we went into the hike lacking something, having an anticipation of hunger. That hunger was filled when we had this view, something that we could take home and then go back down the mountain and share with folks. And so we see in the Beatitudes a similar journey of going on a hike. So yeah, Jesus invites people for the Sermon on the Mount, come out of your familiar places because what I'm going to tell you is revolutionary. And if you're in your familiar place, you may not be able to hear just how beautiful these words are. So come up the mountain. But then... He invites them, or he uses Jesus in talking about the Beatitudes. He uses a structure that itself is like climbing a mountain. So I want to teach you for one second, if you could put on the scholar cap for one minute, hang with me. I want to teach you about a chiasm or chiasm. You may have heard of this before. So a chiasm is related to the Greek letter chi, X. And it's a literary device that folks in the ancient Near East would use in poetry all the time. It's all over Psalms. It's all over Proverbs. It's through the teachings of Paul as well. So in the Beatitudes, and I'm talking about, there's nine phrases of blessing. We're going to look at the first eight. The ninth is a bit of a coda. It's different in structure. You can look at that um, later. But if you look at the first Beatitude and look at the eighth, and do have your Bibles open now, check it out. Look at the blessing on each one. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And then the eighth one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. What do they both receive? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in a chiastic structure, what we see is the first phrase correlates with the last phrase, the second phrase with the second to last, and so on until you get to the middle. And that's the heart of the message. Now you take that chiastic structure, you put it on its end, you're climbing a mountain. And so that's the journey we're going to go on. Go on uh, up one side with anticipation of receiving something, be filled, and then head back into our familiar places. The chiasm, and I think this is beautiful, it's also what is used Now, someone will have to fact check me on this. I don't know if Nate's here, but um, optic chiasm. I don't know if I said that right. The way your eyes work are the same way. Your right eye takes in a whole bunch of information. Your left eye does the same. And these nerves start at different places in your brain. And where they meet, that is the chiasm. And everything becomes clear. Okay, so information here, information here. And then when they meet, that's when we have clarity on what we're after. And so we see the structure. I think we have a... uh, Can we look at the image of this? So if we imagine we're climbing a mountain with the Beatitudes, the first four, if you look at them, are defined by lack. These are the Beatitudes, the blessings of lack. Poor in spirit, 
mourning, meekness, hungering, and thirsting. These are beatitudes of lack. That's the journey up. And then I want you to look at verse 6. So if you have your Bible, look at verse 6. I'll read it for you here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? For they will be, if you have it, say it. What does it say? Yeah, filled or satisfied. A filling happens halfway through the Beatitudes. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then we see the back half of, of this mountain is, is defined by blessings of filling. Blessed are the merciful, those who are full of mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, full of purity. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, full of peace. Peace, not the absence of conflict, but the presence of everything good in the kingdom. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those who are so full of the presence of God that they face resistance from those who are without. So that's how we're going to chart our way through. This teaching is so rich, we're not going to be able to hit everything and give it its due course. So I encourage you, go through these. But we do want to start on the left side of the mountain with a poor in spirit. So the Beatitudes of lack. This has to be our, our starting point. When Jesus bursts on the scene, you can imagine it's a bit like a politician laying out his vision for a preferred future. What does he value? And then who is valued within his leadership? Now think about this. Who would think to lead off their vision of the future by saying, hey, you know who's blessed, who's valued? The poor in spirit. That's who it is. We have to remember how shocking this would have sounded to those who heard it for the first time. So who is poor in spirit? What does this mean? I have to confess, I had read this as the poor for a long time, and Jesus cares deeply about the poor. It's mentioned throughout scripture dozens of times. But the poor in spirit applies to anybody. Poor in spirit can find you wherever you are, whatever your station in life. Poor in spirit is when you are at the end of your rope. Poor in spirit is when you have a poverty of life, when you are lacking inspiration, when you have hit a point where you feel like you are on the sidelines watching everyone else enjoy themselves or experience life, when you feel like you're disqualified because of what's happened to you or what you've done. There are many of you here who may feel poor in spirit right now. And what I have to say is Jesus in this revolutionary message says, you're who I want on my team. You're who are favored on my kingdom. So if you find yourself and you've been telling yourself understandably a story like, hey, I'm disqualified. This isn't for me. Jesus says, no, you're exactly who I want. When I think about hiking, if you've hiked with me before, there's a lot of students in the room. I like to be camp dad. I put on my extra big backpack, put on my extra layers. I've got my summit snacks. Usually it's my peanut M&Ms and my Skittles from when we get to the view. It's like, here we go. Got my extra water, my flashlight, just in case, you know, one of those mirrors that you can like signal the plane if you get lost. I don't have one of those anymore, but I did when I was a kid. Thought it was so cool. No plane ever saw me, as far as I know. <laughs> but I imagine if I were going to go on a hike with Jesus, I'd have my rucksack and he would say, Dave, you got to take some stuff out of there. Empty the bag. And I'm like, no, no, I, ne I need this. I need this to be okay. And he's like, no, empty it out. In fact, just leave the bag. Take the bag off. With me, there's no baggage. No baggage. Just leave it. I just want you. And so for some of us, I think that this is an invitation to realize Jesus just wants you. You are like, I've got a lot of baggage. And he says, I know, you can leave the bags. Come to me, 
When there's less of you, there's more of me to fill that space. That's the starting point. And for those of us who feel like we're in a pretty stable place, I'd say, how does this challenge you? It's tough to be around people who are poor in spirit sometimes. It really is. But if we realize that Jesus, this is who Jesus values highly, in fact, mentioning them first. For me, I am so challenged to rethink about how I see others who may be in a place where they are poor in spirit, rather than backing away to draw near, as I think Jesus would. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We talked about those who mourn earlier, and even that passage I read from John Stone's obituary just shows that even those who mourn that we don't understand, that I can't understand, there is comfort available. Jason Faulkner, who led, led uh, our time on Wednesday night as an invitation to mourning and grief, taught me that this word comfort, it's from the Greek word parakaleo. We can actually break this one down. Y'all are capable, right? Para, we all know what parallel lines are. I used to teach geometry, okay? Alongside, kaleo is like called out, right? So for someone to be comforted, what that means is to be called near, to be called alongside. Y'all, that, that hits me in a deep place. That Jesus says, those who mourn, my hope is for you. You will be called alongside me, brought into my arms, brought into an embrace and comforted. It's really good news. Again, don't forget that this is like Jesus's campaign speech, okay? These are, these are amazing words. They're beautiful words. But he's saying, the most valuable people in my kingdom, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn. That's who he's hitting us with right away. For they will be comforted. They will be drawn alongside. Now for some of us, well, all of us, I think, mourning is hard. No one out there is like, hey, what are you into? Oh, I'm really into grieving. It's hard. It's tough. In fact, I've learned um, in some countries, like in India, there's professional mourners. Like you can pay someone to do the mourning for you. It's not something that we naturally want to move towards. And yet, it seems to be what we are invited to. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He did not shy away from this. There's something about passing through this, this invitation to grieve and to mourn that we come out the other side comforted and able to comfort those. So we are taught in scripture, we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. But, and I'm guilty of this, sometimes we get this mixed up and I try to hope without ever having grieved. And if we miss that process, it's a hollow hope. There is no substance in it. You may have experienced this with people who have rushed too fast through the mourning or through the grieving, through the pain. You're like, are you really okay? There's a big conversation about mental health right now. I just got to say this about mental health. Mental health does not mean you have good vibes. Mental health means that your emotions match the situation. And if that situation called for is grief, that's the healthy thing to do. But I know it's not fun. It's a lonely place. It's a place where we feel a lack of control. It's a place where we feel, will I ever get out of this? Or in our family of origin, we are taught, we don't cry here. We have to hold it all together. And yet Jesus says, you are favored. You are blessed. Come near to me. So for many of us, there's an invitation. You've got an email in your inbox that you have not read, but it's been sitting there for years. And the Lord is asking you to open that up and follow this path. And for some of us, we need to be open to being the agent of God's comfort for others. There's a double challenge here. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We won't have time to sit with this, but we'll say, in meekness, there's a lack of a need to defend oneself, which is so contrary to what we see um, valued in those who lead us these days. But connected to that, if I don't need to defend my stuff, well, what's the blessing? You will inherit the earth. It's beautiful. 
It is the upside-down kingdom that Jesus is showing us. So finally, if we're, we're taking the journey, the hike up this mountain of the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes of lack, at the top we see, blessed are the hunger, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I think it's, it's only fitting that this hunger and thirst for righteousness and the reality of being filled, the promise to be filled, happens after a journey of experiencing being poor in spirit, of mourning, of being meek. We are pouring out all the things that we need to be okay, all the things that we think it means to be blessed, emptying out so that we can be filled with a new vision of life. Jesus is saying this is the new vision of the kingdom, hunger and thirst for righteousness, not whatever the other things you thought you needed to survive. He's rewiring our appetites. And here's the things what I know is true about me and it's probably true about you. You are not primarily a thinking thing. We think we are because we're children of the enlightenment. I think, therefore, I am. That's not true. At the end of the day, you do the thing that you desire the most, not the thing that you think is best. Think about that. Think about your appetites. God's saying, I'm going to rewire your desires so that they're the desires of the kingdom. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And once we are full, we are now able to enter the other side of the mountain. So we have the Beatitudes of lack, of emptiness, of anticipation, but at the end of filling, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. On the other side of the mountain are the Beatitudes of fullness. The first one, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You get what you give in this one, which is amazing. It reminds there's that new radical song from the 90s. I don't remember that. I'm so sorry, I'm like a 90s kid. Great, that is a bop, y'all. Check that one out. <laughs> blessed are the merciful, for they receive mercy. This is the first beatitude that mentions being able to give of oneself to those around you. It's only after we're filled that we're able to give, right? Now, I know for me, the times in my life when I've been least merciful, what's in place of mercy is judgment. And scripture teaches us that mercy will triumph over judgment in God's economy. But if I have not become friends with the poor in spirit or seen myself as valuable when I'm poor in spirit or been able to mourn with those who mourn or myself be able to mourn, how am I going to be able to be mercy? I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to look at someone in that situation and judge them in that situation. Jesus invites us to be merciful or to see that those are valued, but first says we got to be willing to take this journey on the other side. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Next, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Someone who is pure in heart is someone who is not cynical. You know, we live in a cynical world. I am a cynic. I want to tell you a story. From this past summer, you saw the photo of the youth group when we were in, um, in Quito. And before that, we served in a school. And our hosts down there, they're incredible ministers. They would, uh, they would lead devotionals for us. And on one of the first nights, they gathered us. And I noticed on the table behind them were cut out of like kids' crafts, like foam, foam uh, crowns covered in gold glitter. And there was one of them, I counted, for all 30 of us. And I'm like, they're going to put crowns on us and tell us we're God's children. And that is so dumb. That is not going to work. And I look at Haley, and Haley said it was okay to throw her under the bus. She's our youth pastor. Um, we like exchanged a glance, and she's like, yeah, this is, mm, we're going to have to do some like damage control later. Well, y'all, my cynicism was wrecked. Our hosts are some of the most pure in heart people I've met. But I didn't trust it. I've been used to seeing people who maybe hope without grieving first, who um, have disillusioned my idea of what it looks like to be pure in heart. 
Well, they called us forward. They put crowns on us. They blessed us. Said that you are a child of God. Spoke true words over all 33 of us. Then they put on worship music. And at some point I had to step back and I noticed our students and our leaders, not a dry eye in the place. People are hugging. People are forgiving. People are asking forgiveness. People are experiencing the Lord, seeing God, as they say the pure in heart would, in a very real way. Something that fueled the rest of our trip. And I stepped back and I was like, this is a beautiful scene. And we are all wearing foam crowns right now. (laughs) What in the world? And what I had to realize later is these folks, their purity in heart was a real one. I know these folks, Poncho and Pity, the Zola family. They will be here in December, and I hope you get to meet them. But they had genuinely walked the left side of this mountain. They knew what it was to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the kind of people you can trust their purity in heart and not be cynical about. And that's the invitation that we have for us as well. Those who are faking it, run. (laughs) That's a tough place. That's where we end up disillusioned or disillusioning others. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. A peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper is someone who just maintains the status quo and there's no conflict. See, that's a value of lack. To be a peacekeeper is let's maintain the absence of conflict. But peacemaking, y'all, we gotta say, I've been talking for a while, so talk back to me. Shalom, everyone say shalom. Shalom, Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, does not mean an absence of conflict. I love this. It means in the understanding of the hearers, the fullness of God's kingdom of everything good, true, beautiful, right. So to be a peacemaker is to stand in between two people who both think they're right and both want you to think that they're right. And to stand in between them and pray for peace between them, for the fullness of peace. Y'all, I meet with so many, with many couples for premarital counseling. And one of the things we talk about is the sneakiest thing that can get a friendship or a marriage or any relationship is maintaining false peace. That is not God's vision of peace. It is to be peacemakers, to stand in between in the gap. And that is what Jesus did. And he invites us to follow. Finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Y'all, when you follow Jesus, when you are someone who is part of his kingdom, we have to realize that there are people in the world, things in the world that are opposed to God's kingdom, and we will face resistance. Following Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to work out and we will avoid pain and suffering and confusion. In fact, sometimes it means that finds us. But what is the blessing? It's the same blessing. We will first full circle now. Poor in spirit or persecuted for righteousness sake, the same blessing is that yours is the kingdom of heaven. A new way of doing things where things are upside down, where death does not have the end of the day. The word, the last word, hope does. Love does. God's kingdom will reign. So if you find yourself in that place, take heart, the Lord is calling you to be near to him. Y'all, we've been up the mountain. We're down the other side. What does it look like to go back into our context? I have some questions for you as we leave here. First, I want to encourage everybody, go outside and read the Sermon on the Mount. It takes about 12 minutes. Find a place where you're outside of your familiar context. If it's climbing a mountain, amazing. Do that. But if it's just on the belt line or in your backyard, get outside and read it. Get out of your normal context and allow the words of Jesus to wash over you. Second, which of these beatitudes, these blessings, these favors, is an invitation for you to receive God's grace? I think particularly at the beginning, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. If you've been in that place, 
and you feel like, I am sidelined here. I'm out of the game. Jesus is saying, you're exactly who I want. Maybe there's a chance to reevaluate how you see yourself. And I'd say, you are beloved. You are blessed. And which is challenging you to bless others? As I said, for me, I've been on a journey of this too. It's hard to be around those who are poor in spirit or those who mourn. And yet that's who Jesus values. I encourage us all to sit with who is Jesus calling us to draw near to? both to see as valued and maybe to draw near as someone who would bring comfort to those who mourn. Y'all want to pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that in your kingdom, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who are favored and blessed. Pray that your kingdom would become reality. God, may we feel you walking alongside us and give us courage to follow this path of discipleship you've called us towards. Bless your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.